My name is Vince. I'm an alcoholic. Hi. This is an open meeting of the Atlantic Group of Alcoholics Anonymous, and all are welcome to attend. We hope that what you learn here may be helpful to your recovery and or understanding. The format of tonight's meeting will be a main speaker who will speak for 30 minutes, followed by our information break. Our main speaker tonight is Terry. Hi, my name's Terry. I'm an alcoholic. For me, only sober through the grace of God in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I say that because when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, I did not have a desire to be sober. The miracle of Alcoholics Anonymous, the grace of a loving God, and people in Alcoholics Anonymous. I walked in my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous. I've been sober since. Never been to a detox, rehab, sobering up station, none of those places. I walked in off the street, and somebody said to me, if you don't pick the first drink up, and you get a group, you get a sponsor, you do some service, you, put the lit you read the literature, you put the steps in your life, and you find a God of your understanding, you don't, you'll never have to drink again. None of that stuff meant a lot to me when I was first thrown up in AA, because I had no idea what they were talking about. But that was Alcoholics Anonymous. That was a recipe they gave me 35 years ago. 35 years later, I'm still sitting in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know? And, the first thing I want to say, I think it's important that, you know, uh, today's a, a big day for the Atlanta group, and I think it's a big day for all of AA, certainly for people in Manhattan, because it's a memorial for Peggy B., an old-timer who really was instrumental in Alcoholics Anonymous and loved AA, gave a heart and soul to AA, not only the formation of the Atlanta group, but many years before that, another part of Alcoholics Anonymous. As time goes on, and you get a little more sober, and you get those years ahead of you, the age also catches up with you. And now, you, know, you look back, and a lot of those people that were here that carried a wonderful message to me are not here anymore. But I can remember all of them. You know, there's an old adage sometimes, you know. I met a lot of people in my life, and I've been doing, I did a lot of things in my life, and I was around a lot of people. But I always remember the people that were kind to me. And when I came to Alcoholics Anonymous, people were kind. People told me the truth. They told me, you're an alcoholic, and you can't drink a day at a time. If you do what we do, you're going to be okay. And I just went on blind faith, you know. And I'll give you the, the story. I'm, you know, I, I'm always nervous when I speak, no matter where I speak or what I do, and I've been involved in service throughout the years at a lot of different levels and done a lot of different things. And I think it's good. I think God just shakes the truth out of me. I just never know which direction I'm going to go. But I'm going to give you a, a, a simple little version of my story. Is that I'm born, I'm 70, I'll be 73 in January. I was born and raised on 4th Street and 2nd Avenue. Moved to 3rd Street and 1st Avenue, and I'm back on 4th Street and 2nd Avenue. <laughs> As a kid growing up, uh, the Bowery was in full swing in the 50s and 60s. If you were a homeless guy, it was uh, 80s, 3rd Street, the men's shelter. I saw a lot of alcoholism in my life. I saw a lot of drunken people. I saw the, the flop houses on the Bowery, the Kensington, the Palace, the Grant, the White House. And I, you know, I knew people hanging outside the men's shelter getting tickets and uh, getting flop tickets and still, and rooms and, and detoxes and all the other stuff that goes along with that, you know. And, and it was funny because, uh, I'd come down the hallway on a cold January night, you know, I'm going to school, me and my sister, and there'd be some guy laying in the hallway, and i say to my mother, why is he here? She said, he chose to be here. Now, I, I just went with that because I was a young kid and I didn't know, and I, I realized nobody one day wakes up and says, let me go sleep in the hallway on the corner of 4th Street and 2nd Avenue in January. It's alcoholism. He was a good guy, probably had a good, you talk to some of these guys as a kid growing up in the neighborhood, you're sitting on the stoop, they're drinking beer, you know. And back then, we didn't use the word they were homeless. If you didn't have a job and a place to stay, you were a bum. 
That's the terminology they use. You were bum. And you would talk to some of these guys that were well-educated, they had families, they had everything, but they drank everybody out of their life and they came to a place where nobody talked about their alcoholism. Down to the Bowery, where, you know, almost the old adage with the elephant burial ground, you know, and you saw all that stuff. My father and mother were born in Ireland. They came over here. My mother's one of 17. My father's one of 12. Came over here. My father's a terrific guy, World War II veteran, married my mother. My father's a great guy. My father died in VA hospital, cirrhosis of the liver. Fifth of Fleischmann's, six pack of Rheingold, three packs of Paul Mall. Got up one day, fell down, didn't get back up again. You know? So I saw a lot of that stuff, and uh, I heard a couple of people speak in the last couple of weeks from this group, you know, and, and if you ever had an alcoholic parent, you know what that is, you know? The embarrassment, the humiliation, the shame, you know, somebody come and get me down. I was, uh, again, I was down in the schoolyard on 4th Street and uh, between 2nd and 1st and 2nd Avenue. Your father's laying in the street because he couldn't make it home. Have to pick him up, take him upstairs. He defecated on himself. He threw up on himself. If he got home sometimes, he just started fighting with my mother and screaming and yelling the cops would be at the house, you know? The neighbors were saying, what's going on in there, you know? And we learned one thing uh, in the house. You never told anybody what was going on inside the house. My mother said, you never tell anybody your business. And I went with that for the longest period of time. You know, I thought that was just the way it was, you know? My father's drinking was chaotic and uh, couldn't bring anybody home and everything else. But I, when I came to AA, I always thought I had the wrong parents. My father and mother had no education. My mother cleaned offices at night. Uh, my father was a factory worker. When I came to AA, I just thought I had the wrong parents. Then I woke up one day and realized, and I sobered up and realized I never wanted for anything. I went to parochial school. I always had clean sheets on the bed, always had food on the table, always had a roof over my head. I didn't see that, you know, and uh, all I saw was the chaoticness, and I always saw that they were sort of old-fashioned, you know, not much education, but they did the best they could, and they, they gave us a pretty good life. My sister went all the way to college and a Catholic. They threw me out of Catholic school after a few years. It just didn't work for me because I was just all over the place as a kid, you know, and that's just my pattern in my life, you know, and wasn't a bad kid, they always said that, but the bottom was, they used to have an old adage, you know, you had ants in your pants, the public state Catholic school system. And I would run, and I'd be everywhere but where I was supposed to be. So as a young kid, I saw a lot of alcoholism, I saw a lot of insanity, and it didn't tell me any because I was around a lot of insanity, I just thought that's the way it was, you know. Um, I go out to visit my family, my mother's uh, had 17 brothers and sisters, and they were all over the place, and we'd go visit them, and they all had nice, had nice houses and everything else, and we had a rent-controlled apartment on the Lower East Side. And I just said, oh, what, what, you know, what's going on, what's with this? And, but the reality is I love the Lower East Side. I grew up there my whole life. I've still lived there today, and I, you know. But my, my alcoholism, what happens, I, I, as a kid, that was very uncomfortable in my own skin. And it's not unusual. I've been to thousands and thousands of AA meetings in 35 years, thousands. And everybody's sort of uncomfortable at some point in their life. You know, they find other avenues, whether it's sports, whether it's books, whether it's movie, or whether it's fantasy. And mine was sports. I'm a really great basketball player, great baseball player, and that's where I put all my evidence on. And uh, I was playing sports, and you know, I remember uh, I was in a CYO league, and I got a couple of scholarship offers from Catholic High School to come and play basketball for them, and they all said the same thing, can you bring your report card in? And I couldn't bring my report card in, because if you've read my report card, it says, doesn't read well, doesn't spell well, doesn't pay attention and all those things. So I walked out of there and I said, I'll never bring my report card in, which I'll never tell anybody about this. That's just the way the secrets of the, you know, I haven't even picked up a drink yet and I was full of secrets about the family and everything else, you know? 
And at the age of 16 years of age, I had a bad skin condition. I felt uncomfortable in my own skin. I don't think I drank before that. If I did, it had no real, had no real meaning. I saw my father's drink and that craziness that went with that stuff. And I picked up a, a drink at the age of 16. And I can give you the real short version. I picked up a drink at 16. I walked into a neighborhood bar on the Lower East Side at 16. I walked out when I was 37. And I got a lot of stories in the middle. That's just the way it is, you know, and at the age of 16, I started drinking, I walked into the bar, I quit school, I didn't want to go to school because I wanted to go get a full-time job and make money, I wanted to be a big guy, and I got good jobs, I made money, but you know, I didn't have much of an education, so I delivered furniture, I did construction, did all the things you do to make money. Walk into a neighborhood bar, draw somebody up in a bar, I was 16 years of age, they, they all knew my father, everybody knew everybody in the neighborhood, and nobody in that bar said to me, kid, you're too young, you shouldn't be here. The guy said to me, what are you drinking? And I told him what I was drinking that day and I was off to the races, you know? And I love what booze did for me. I just, for some reason, I felt better, I felt stronger. All the things we hear about in Alcoholics Anonymous, you know? By the time I was 20 years of age, I was a full-blown alcoholic in a world of trouble. Blackouts, grayouts, uh, the unacceptable became acceptable, I become unreliable. I get locked up, I get beat up, people looking for me. Because I always said the most inappropriate things you could say. Every time something happened, I would dive in the middle like I was some gangster or something like that, you know? And, you know, I wasn't a bad kid. I was just, when I drink, I, I don't go home. I'm not one of those people in my, in my entire life, I'm not one of those people that say, I'm going to have, a, I want to say, I'm going to have a couple of beers, going to watch the Yankee game on television, and I'm going to go home. That's what I say. But the reality is, once I start drinking, I'm drinking. And, I, and there's no stopping me once I start drinking. So by the age of 20, I was already in a world of trouble. And I remember going out with some different women in the neighborhood, and everybody would always say the same thing, that you're a pretty good guy, we like you, but you drink too much. Or I just wouldn't show up. You know, call on, a, you know, I get a date, and I don't go. Because I'd gone to the bar at 11 o'clock in the morning, and I started drinking. And this is just the way my life it went on and on and on. Uh, my father's drinking was bad. My father wound up in a VA hospital and uh, wound up dying of the disease. Uh, you know, I can give you my other story. I, I, I met a woman. There's always a woman in the story for me. And I met a woman at, uh, for 48 years ago in a park inn right across the street from Thompson Square Park, like it was yesterday. And I went in there on the street 30 in the morning. I was drunk. She was drunk. She was bent over a pinball machine, and how long does it take an alcoholic to fall in love? Ten minutes later, I was in love. <laughs> we moved in together, we got married. It's not so bad because next month we'll be celebrating 46 years of marriage together. <laughs> Having said that, she's an AA too, I need to tell you that. <laughs> so between both of us, the drinking, and if you've ever been in those relationships, you know what they are. We drank with each other, we drank against each other, I disappear, she disappear. The only decisions we make, we're gonna to go to the movies, but where are we gonna go after the movies? Go to the bar, hang out in the bar, we'd be in the bar, she'd say something to me, i say something to her, she walks out, I walk out. It was just that chaotic uh, relationship thing, and, but it went on and on and on. I just this is, thought my, my, this was my lot in life, you know? Also, you know, when, uh, there's an old adage on the Lower East Side back when I was younger, when you don't know what to do with yourself, get a city job. Because <laughs> the only thing I knew about the city was they can't fire you. And, I, and the way my drinking was and my attitude and my chaotic behavior, I needed something where they, they, they had a lot of leeway. 
I was in construction. People would say to me, Terry, you're a good guy, but you gotta come in, you gotta come in on time. You drink too much, you're hungover from the night before. Well, I just wouldn't show, you know? And uh, you, you got certain jobs, people just depend on people to be there, and if you're not there, they'll just get somebody else to be there, you know? But I wound up, uh, took a bunch of civil service exam, and I didn't want to be a police officer, I wanted to be a firefighter. It turns out I was a sanitation worker for uh, 28 years. And I didn't know anything at all about that job. The only thing I knew about that job, and here was the reference point for that job for me. I used to go to the bar at like 12 o'clock in the afternoon, and the sanitation guys would be sitting in the bar drinking in uniform. And I say to myself, I want that job. I want to sit in this bar at 12 o'clock, drink, and get paid. I like the getting paid thing and the drinking thing. And I'm here to tell you I did all that. You know, I got on that job and and you know, I give you my quick story. You know, I was uh, 31 years of age when I got on that job, or 30. I never had a driver's license because I knew driving would be bad. I had an apartment. My answer was, I live in the city. I don't need a car. I don't need to know how to drive. And every once in a while, like 3 o'clock, 3.30 in the morning, somebody would say, Terry, you're not a driver. I said, no. So let me teach you. So I'm drunk. They're drunk. And I'm trying to drive a car. And uh, I, there's probably a whole bunch of amends I got to make with some cars I hit. But make a long story short, what happened for me was uh, I went down to get this damn. They said, you have to have a chauffeur's license. I said, a chauffeur's license? I said, so I don't know what to do. So I go to driving school on Avenue, Avenue, a, and Avenue a and 9th Street. I take 18 lessons. And the guy takes me around the dual wheel. And I, I to make a long story short, the day of the test is a Friday morning. And I decide I'm going to go out drinking on Thursday night. And I got home about 3.30 in the morning, 4 o'clock. And I got to be down by Delancey Street at 9 in the morning for this test. This guy's going to meet me there with the car. And we're going to take the road test with the city of New York. And I go down there, and I'm drunk and hungover. And the guy looks at me. And the guy just shakes his head. I get in the wheel, I get in the car, driver, the, the city, the state of New York, driver instruction gets, uh, uh, gives the test, gets on the other side. I'm standing there, and now panic sets in. So I, I'm hitting the gas, the car's not going anywhere. Finally, after about two minutes, it seemed like 20 minutes, but two minutes, some guy says, turn the ignition on. And I turn the ignition on, and I drive, and the woman sitting next to me, an African-American woman, and we get back to the thing, and she says to me her exact words, that was some of the worst driving I've ever seen in my life. And I've been doing this for 25 years. And I say to her, you know, I really need this license because I'm going to work for the city, and I, I can't get the job without the license. And she looks at me, she says, I'm going to give you the license, but you need to practice a lot. <laughs> And I say, thank you very much, and she gives me the license. I get out of the car, give the guy back the car, and walk into the neighborhood bar holding up the license like I just did something that was great. <laughs> now, I don't think anything more of this. So I go down, put my name back on the list. Six months later, they call me, and what happens? They bring me out to Randall's Island, and now they give me a truck to drive. <laughs> now, I haven't driven since, I haven't driven since that, I was in the car with that, the, the state, uh, driving, the driving uh, person was uh, administering the exam. Now they give me a truck to drive. Panic sets in. But I sort of get by it, and I get to this garage, and then I got to go take this road test. And make a long story short, what happens is I'm trying to drive this truck around, but I'm hanging around with guys that are drinking. So I think my problem is if I drink more, it loosens me up. I become a better driver. 
I mean, the insanity, and I was hanging around with a lot of guys like me, most of them were Vietnam vets, guys who came back from the service, guys with a lot of, with a lot of drugs involved in down there. It wasn't my story, it was their story, a lot of insanity that was going on. And uh, I went for this road test again, I did the same thing. I was the 10th guy to take the test out of 10. The guy's gonna fail me. The guy says, everybody passed but you, I'm gonna pass you, but you gotta keep practicing. You know, I, these are the things, he gave me the thing, and I got back, and I never thought about it again, and I, got, and I, I just drove every day on that job, a truck, you know? I'm married to this woman at home, I'm not going home, I disappear for days at a clip sometimes. Because when I pick up the first drink, all bets are off, the job is giving me grief, everybody's giving me grief. I don't show up for family functions anymore. I got a pretty big family, immediate family, my, uh, my wife's uh, sisters and all my cousins and stuff, and you know, I'm just unreliable. And what happened for me was, uh, I, got pulled, I went to a bachelor's party at work, 1988, April of 1988, I, and I, went, I was at a bachelor's party and I'm driving this car around, and I pass out behind the wheel of the car on First Avenue in St. Mark's Place. Five, 12 o'clock, 11, 12 o'clock at night, two cops pull up, it's just me in the car, it's not even my car, it's somebody else's car, they're all down the way they are. And a cop pulls me out of the car and a guy says to me, you've been drinking, I couldn't stand, I was legless. The guy looks at me and the guy says, uh, I t and I kind of get my wallet out, I told him I work for the city and my badge. The guy says, today's your lucky day, I don't need the overtime. Drives the car back to my house, takes the keys, throws them in the back seat, says do not come down tonight. So what I do is I get up the next day and I'm drinking for almost 21 years at this point and the blackouts get worse, the gray outs, all the stuff is just catching up with me. And uh, I knew about AA because I saw the movies, Days of Wine and Roses, The Lost Weekend, I'll Cry Tomorrow. I knew it was a place where people went who didn't want to drink. I want to drink. I just don't want the consequences of my drinking. So I go over to East West Bookstore on, on, on uh, that time was on Fifth Avenue and uh, 13th Street. I bought a stop drinking tape. <laughs> they had just come out with Walkmans. I put, a head, I put headphones on, I throw this tape in there. And for the next seven weeks, all I do is listen to this tape, and I don't drink for seven weeks. And I know what kept me sober for seven weeks was fear. Fear really crept in. I was afraid of everything. I thought I was gonna lose the job, so I was gonna lose my marriage. Everybody was on my back, and I just don't drink. I didn't drink for that seven week period. And, and you know, I was working with a kid by the name of Leroy F. He was a member of Narcotics Anonymous. And Leroy said to me, Terry, you ever think of going to those AA meetings? I said, I don't need any AA meetings, I'm fine. An alcoholic, when he says they're fine, is, is a lie. But make a long story, I told him that, and he looked at me. He was a member of the group on St. Mark's Place. And uh, seven weeks later, I can't explain this anymore, and I'll explain seven weeks after that. I went to work one day, and I was working with a guy, and he says, you want coffee at 6.30 in the morning? I said, no, give, give, give me a can of Budweiser. I ain't drinking seven weeks. He said, though you don't drink anymore. He says, don't worry about what I told you. Just give me a can of Budweiser. And I picked up that Budweiser at 6.30 in the morning. By three o'clock in the afternoon, I was just as drunk as I was the day they pulled me out of that car. I drank for another seven weeks. August 16th of 1988, I was down by the FDR drive, so drunk, I ran a car into a wall with a buddy of mine, Eddie T, who just died. Uh, I got on top of the car, drinking beer, pushed it to the side, sat up there, went home. Got up the next day, uh, I had that moment the next day. I said, I can't do this anymore. I just can't do this anymore. And I went down to the CAU unit in the city of New York, sanitation department. I met a guy by the name of Bob M. 
was a counselor now, and he was sober a long time in AA. He said to me, you know what your problem is, Terry? I said, what, you're an alcoholic? And I said, I know. I knew that when I was 20. I'm 37 now. I went to my first meeting that day. It was a meeting on White Street, and White and Center, called Clean Sweep. And uh, it was mostly disgruntled sanitation guys and me. And what happened for me that day was I went to my first meeting, and I uh, did my first meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, and somebody told their story. They went around the room, they gave me a meeting book, and I went to other meetings. Afterwards, I, I didn't want to go to any meetings on the Lower East Side, so I went uptown, met a guy down there, told me about the Living Now group, and I walked into the Living Now group. August 16th, that's my sobriety date of 1988. And I walked in there, and I was still drunk. Uh, I walked in there, and some guy threw a chair off the wall, and I fell in love with the group. <laughs> you know, and, but I got my first sponsor. was a guy by the name of Joey A. He's passed away in my, uh, my first seven, eight years in the program. Joey died of the AIDS virus. He was HIV positive when I met him. Guy was my, uh, guy saved my life. Took me through the steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. Got me involved in the literature took me to meetings. I was always one of those guys. I'd, go, I'd meet him every day. We'd go to the meeting before the meeting, the meeting, and then the meeting after the meeting. And the guy just opened up the door of Alcoholics Anonymous. He got me involved in service in Alcoholics Anonymous. He told me the importance of going to meetings and doing the stuff that we do to stay sober in Alcoholics Anonymous. And I continue to do that to this day. You know, and he got me involved in service. And I'm, I put big plugs in for service because, you know, you only get out of AA what you put in AA, you know? And I could sit here and tell you I went through the steps and I've done, all this, I've done all that stuff, but I also carried the message of Alcoholics Anonymous. I went to a lot of meetings. I chaired some meetings at groups. I got involved in institution work, which I thought was wonderful. I got involved in general service, which I thought was wonderful. My wife was in the program, and she went out after four or five years, the hardest day of my life. I had to make a decision with my sponsor and two other guys. I changed the locks on the door. I locked her out. Hardest decision ever made in my life. I just realized I couldn't stay sober and she couldn't be there. I just and I locked her out and she went up to Connecticut and a couple of days later she called me up and I said, Do you want to go to a rehab? I can't promise you anything. And she wound up in a rehab and she's now sober twenty eight years in Alcoholics Anonymous. But it was the hardest thing I ever did in my life, rocking my own wife out of it. But she was sober about five years in the program when she picked up. You know, so these things are never easy. You know, if you have family members and loved ones, it's you know, there's no words. I couldn't get her sober. She went to the detox, she went over to Popery, she met her sponsor, Cookie S, back then. Cookie, through the steps, got her involved in service. I was doing the service, she followed me along the pole. Well, you know, we got a great life out of it. I had the opportunity to serve the series, the delegate in 2003, 2004, 20 years ago. All because I showed up, I'm a high school dropout at the age of 16, I got the opportunity to go to the general service conference and be, uh, carried a message for this particular uh, area, which is all the way to five boroughs, all the way up to Montauk, all the way up to Sullivan County, carried a message, you know, and a lot of things have happened in the last couple of years. My wife went on, she also served as delegate a number of years later. My wife got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, very, very difficult thing, and she's been struggling for years with illness. And, you know, it's, it's not always easy. Life isn't always easy, but make a long story short, it's certainly a lot better when I'm sober than when I'm drunk. And she shows up every day, and she goes to a couple of Zoom meetings a day. She has a group. She has a sponsor. She does great, you know? And it just really, I look at her and somebody that struggles with illness and, and kind of puts one foot in front of the other and shows up. She just makes my life so much easier. A couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with cancer out of the clear blue sky. Didn't see it coming. You know, woke up one day, took a colonoscopy. The guy told me I had stage 3 rectal cancer. And what do I do? I go to a meeting that night, I tell people what's going on, I tell my sponsor, I tell people I'm close with in the program. I went through uh, four and a half months of chemo. 
I went through 30 radiation treatments. I just went for an MRI this morning. So far, it's, a, it's, it's in remission. Tumor's really small, which is a good thing. I learned that in AA. You know what I learned that from? The people in AA. You know, I come here, I get sober, I put the steps in my life, but this is a, a fellowship and a community of people staying together, stay sober and help each other achieve sobriety. You know, what's and all? It's always easy to be spiritual when everything is going my way. Try to be spiritual when it's not going your way. That's the secret, but I gotta come here and I gotta put this program in my life a day at a time. That's what I love about Alcoholics Anonymous. That's what I'm gonna love when I hang around and listen to people talk about Peggy today. You know, we always gotta remember there were people, there were people here for me, like Phil P and a lot of people down on the Lower East Side. When I walked into that meeting, they would come over to me and say, how are you tonight, Terry? Something simple like that. It wasn't the big thing, the little handshake, how are you tonight? Is everything going okay? And they asked me how I was doing and they meant it. It wasn't like sometimes they ask me really how you doing. I don't really want to know, but if you, you know, sometimes they'll tell me. And, uh, but the bottom line to the story is AA's give me an incredible life because of Alcoholics Anonymous, the grace of a loving God. I don't kid myself, but I also uh, don't realize I can't get this home sitting on my couch. I'm, a, I'm one of those guys, I love going to live meetings. I love being in Alcoholics Anonymous. I love being sober. I never, I never had it so good. You know, I've been drunk and I've been sober. Sober's better, but I gotta come here a day at a time. So if you're new, and there might be some new people, you got a lot of older people here tonight to come down for the memorial, please hang around and listen to people talk about somebody that spent 50 years of her life giving back to the fellowship. And that's what it's all about now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My, my last sponsor just died. Old timer, great guy. I had the opportunity, I was his healthcare proxy. I was, uh, I was his executive of his will, all those things. You know why? Because I showed up, I was there, and he asked me to do something, I did it. That's the wonderful thing about Alcoholics Anonymous. And uh, like I said, this is a great group to be around. You're around a lot of sober people and Alcoholics Anonymous, but you know, I just gotta remember that I'm a drunk and I, I can't drink a day at a time. I got a great life because of AA. Whatever I'm giving, my wife's struggling a little bit, I'm struggling a little bit, that's all good stuff. Trust me when I tell you, what's the alternative, right? There's a lot of the guys I work with who are dead now. Most of the guys I grew up with are not here anymore. They're all dead because of alcoholism and drug addiction. And I'm here and I get the opportunity to live a beautiful life and be part of this process. I got a God in my life I'm very, very comfortable with today. When I came in here, the best thing I could do was go to all the direction group of drunks. Now I'm a practicing, uh, practicing Roman Catholic. I've done it for 30 years. My life is good, I practice, I enjoy, I enjoy the, the ritual, I enjoy everything that goes along with it. And the only reason that's possible is because I'm sober. Left up to my own devices, I don't do any of the above. I sit in some gin mill, drink myself to death, watching a black and white television set with Mr. Moto at four o'clock in the morning. That's who I am. And letting the world go by and just telling everybody how bad I got it, oh, woe is me, as woe is me. I've been drunk and alcohol, I've been drunk and I'm sober. Sober's better and I got a great life because of Alcoholics Anonymous. People like you would let me know a day at a time, no matter what happens, you don't have to pick the first drink. Do what we do if you're here, please stay. Please stay, because we need you, we need everybody. You know, if you're here three weeks or you're here 30 years, you're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous, you're a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. So my name's Terry, I'm an alcoholic, and thank you for letting me share.